Hello, I'm Catherine de Volder. This is Thinking Out Loud, conversations with leading philosophers from around the world on topics that concern us all. This is a special edition on ethical questions raised by the corona pandemic. In this interview, I talk to philosopher Cesar Palacios Gonzalez, who helped develop Mexico's recently published federal guidelines for deciding who gets to access scarce medical resources, like ventilators in the case of COVID-19. Developing these guidelines was not a simple task. Influential philosophers deny the need for such guidelines and the presence of widespread corruption and racism in Mexico created extra hurdles. To start with, um, it would be good if you could just describe the situation, the current situation in, in Mexico. Mexico actually had its firm confirmed case of coronavirus on the 28th of February. And then on the 21st of April, actually, they declare something that in Mexico is called phase three of the pandemic, it means that the community transmission of the COVID uh, disease actually is uh, going up very, very rapidly. So they have social distancing measures at the moment. Plus, many sectors of the economy have stopped and actually they are expanding very rapidly or as fast as they can a hospital capacity. Already 11 hospitals in Mexico City are completely full. There's no more capacity for beds. 10 more hospitals are almost full. And then all the other hospitals actually are getting uh, to the same status of being completely full. So that means that actually we're not even close to the peak by far. And the situation is already dire in terms of, of the healthcare system. The death rate in Mexico probably will be very, very high. So you helped um, draft the federal guidelines for resource allocation, but you couldn't just copy existing guidelines because Mexico poses particular challenges. So could you tell us a bit more about the particular challenges faced by Mexico and how this affected um, the drafting of the guidelines? One of the things that makes the uh, Mexico's case interesting is that any kind of guidelines actually should not run foul, foul of uh, Mexico's uh, human rights law. So there could be no mention, uh, well, at least not explicit mention of age as a, as a criteria for actually discerning between patients and allocation of resources. Doctors should not discriminate patients according to social, what they will think that is the social value of patients, just in general day-to-day -day life. It is the case that sometimes there are not enough ventilators, just in a regular hospital in Mexico City. And then when doctors are faced with this, I know from experience because I used to work as a paramedic in Mexico for a long time, that doctors will say, well, but they have to choose between these two patients. And then it seems that actually both of them have the same probability of, of survival. And then they will say, okay, let's, I think actually this patient has a family, or actually it's more productive, or it looks at actually he uh, has more social value and then they will allocate the resource to, to him or her. So when we draft these guidelines, actually, we had to pay a lot of attention to, to emphasizing that doctors, they shouldn't take into account perceived social value. So in addition to this uh, perceived social value, we also have a, a, a very entrenched problem of racism in Mexico. And actually how it works there, at least in general, is that people would assign a certain value to certain kind of a skin color. So they will say, oh, yeah, of course, like white people are, uh, they work harder or actually they are better educated. They are. And then, of course, all those things also enter 
into this consideration about resource allocation. When we thought about the guidelines, we actually stressed a lot that those types of things shouldn't be taken into account. Another thing is that, for example, Mex in Mexico, uh, corruption is widespread. We were very worried that people, uh, affluent people, will actually try to pay their way into ICU for them or for their families. They will try to go like to upper management if they know someone there, or they will resort to actually trying to offer money to someone uh, that, like, that is looking after a patient. It would be uh, kind of nonsensical just right don't take bribes so actually what we did there is actually we tried to justify in very clear terms why certain way of allocating resources should be followed but of course that within the mexican context context is understood as actually trying to avoid this type of people actually getting themselves into icu i, I i'm not sure it happens here in the uk but in Mexico, a lot of professional philosophers actually have uh, weekly columns in newspapers. So most of them actually have been publishing about, for example, why this uh, random allocation in this particular set of circumstances uh, is a, a, a very uh, grave moral mistake. So they said, if you have someone that actually is in prison and someone that is uh, uh, out of prison, who should you benefit? So, like, who should receive the resource? They were posing it as a serious question, as if being an inmate should rule this person from receiving scarce medical resources. Even when it, that is deeply problematic in general terms, in the specific context of Mexico where the legal system simply doesn't work, is even worse. Very important philosophers, like like one of the former heads of the most important uh, research Institute actually wrote against having any kind of guidelines at all. And a lot of philosophers actually thought that philosophers and bioethicists shouldn't publish any kind of guidelines in terms of resource allocation. They were worried about philosophy, like legitimizing certain kinds of resource allocation schemes. And, and on the other hand, they thought like actually philosophy has to, it, it shouldn't be involved with these particular matters. Actually, it's, it is just a medical situation which is very, 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 very odd. And in, in a stark contrast, whereas these philosophers actually were saying, no, philosophers, philosophy and bioethics, medical ethics shouldn't be involved with drafting guidelines. We had the medical associations actually telling us, yes, a guideline would be super helpful. That was particularly challenging because at the same time as drafting the guidelines, we had to defend in the media and we had to actually present tons of uh, reasons in uh, in the public sphere about why the guidelines were important and do you sort of have confidence in the fact that most um health workers and doctors etc will actually follow the guidelines within every hospital in mexico there's a bioethics uh, group those particular groups are in charge of socializing the guidelines within their hospitals and we know that every hospital has one of those mm -hmm. so we would hope that actually the guidelines will be followed. So, but as I said, it's it's a it's very difficult in Mexico. And then, it's sadly for many places the guidelines will just don't matter because there are hospitals with no function ventilators. There are places where there are no hospitals in kilometers, and then that means. As I said, that we were worried about corruption, we were worried about discrimination, 
and then how that affects uh, healthcare settings where there are these resources. But sadly, for in many other places, there are no resources. So that means that thinking about the pandemic, as many other people have said, in low and, in, and medium, middle in, income countries, that actually presents its particular challenges. Thanks for listening to this Thinking Out Loud interview. You can also watch Thinking Out Loud videos on YouTube on the Practical Ethics channel and remain up to date via the Thinking Out Loud Facebook page.